We are continuing this uh, sermon series that is going to take us really briskly through the letter of Philippians entitled Becoming. And this word, this phrase, becoming, it's about moving forward uh, in our lives with development. It's about being shaped through the various things that we interact with. It's about being formed in who we are. We started off last week and we, we talked about how this question of what are we becoming in our lives uh, can quickly transition and become the question, who am I? It's a question about purpose. It's a question about our identity. We are all becoming something in and through our lives. But what are we living towards? What is the direction that we are living at? Uh, In the letter of Philippians, that as we're going to be looking at, Paul is writing this letter from prison uh, to this church that is found in uh, Philippi, uh, which was around the region of Macedonia. And even though Paul, in his imprisonment, is suffering, even though he is writing from a place of hardship, he writes this letter with a tone of encouragement, uh, spurring on this church to continue to become a people of and in Christ. And so the encouragement that we find in our pursuit of trying to live a life of becoming a person of and in Christ is that our lives in Christ find ourselves in God's greater, larger story. And we are invited to live within this story. In fact, we are found to be invited to engage with God's greater purpose for our life. Paul is writing with this aim to this church to help them see this grander perspective of their lives. And so the question we are faced is, what is our perception in life? In a sense, what is our perception of a good life? In each of our minds, we all have this image of what we perceive to be a good life, a life that we are longing to live towards. We perceive what we think of this good or this centered life. But the question is, is our perception of this good life right? Are we comparing ourselves to the right thing? Uh, The other week, uh, my wife Brooke and I were hanging some new things on our wall, some pictures and fixtures to spruce up our house. And as Brooke held one of these items on the wall, she asked, does this look centered? Does this look straight and level. And as I stood there, I compared the item that she was holding with the line of the edge of the wall. And in my mind, I thought it could go up on the right a little bit. And so we changed positions. And as I held it, Brooke was looking at it and she was comparing this item to the other items that have already been hung on the wall. And so she thought, no, it needs to go up on the left. And we went back and forth, and what we realized is that we were each comparing, whether it was centered or level, two different things. And so in our mind, we came away with different perspectives. So in order to get things right, or as right as they can be in a house that is already slanted as is, I ran down and got my leveler, and we found what actual was level on our wall. In order to get our perspective, we needed the right tool. And I think of this image, and I ask you in your lives, what are you comparing your life? What are you measuring your life up to? Uh, Do you hold your life and compare it 
to the cultural expectations that are communicated around you. My life has to look like what's in, like what's accepted right now. Do you compare your life to how your neighbors are living? Look at what they are doing. We should do something like that. Do you compare your life to influences, influencers or, or companies that post these pictures of a perceived good life? Look at how happy they are. Look at how successful they are. Or do you compare your life to what you had expected, what you had hoped your life to turn out like? I had always hoped it would have looked like this. What are you comparing your life to? All too often, we compare our lives to all of these various things, and they influence us. They influence our direction of living. They influence our action. But we never seem to measure up to them. Our life doesn't seem to look like what we are comparing ourselves to. We are centering our life compared to the wrong things. We need a better example. We need a better and more exact tool. Uh, Paul directs us in this passage to center our lives, not on this hope of life being calm, not on this pursuit of peace in the now, but he directs us that no matter what is happening in our lives, we are to pursue, we are to center our lives with this purpose and this drivenness of living out our lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. My sermon title today is A Centered Life. And the question that I want you to ask yourself is, what are you comparing your life to? When you hold up your life, what is it that you are trying to live in an example of who are you comparing, what are you comparing your life to? As we started uh, Philippians last week, uh, we saw how this letter written by Paul in this time of imprisonment and confinement doesn't carry with it a sense of hopelessness, but instead it is characterized by joy. Paul is writing to this church with this aim of encouragement. And Paul writes in an encouragement to discover a centered, a gospel-centered life that leads you to rejoice in Christ, what he has done, what he is currently doing, and what he will do, what he has promised. And Paul's example is that we can find joy despite our circumstances, no matter what is happening in our present, when we pursue this life of being centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this passage today, we're going to be in Philippians 1, 12 through 30. You heard Hannah read it. If you want to join us in your Bible, in your app on your phone, or if you're with us in person, there should be a Bible underneath your chair or the one next to you. If you're here with us in person, we're going to be on page 980. And in this passage, what we find Paul doing is Paul is really pointing the Philippians to look at the example of his own current life, his present life in prison, and to see how he is living and to encourage them, to spur them on to live in a similar way. And then he ends with this clear call, ultimately let your life be worthy of the gospel no matter what your circumstances. So as we begin today, how do we live a life that is centered on living for the gospel? Well, our passage today, it begins with this mindset of living into our correct motivation. 
We start today by thinking about what is our motivation in life. And Paul says, your motivation in life is to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is your motivation. This should lead you in your life. Listen to how Paul begins this section as he writes, stuck in prison. Verse 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I find the beginning of this passage to be somewhat flabbergasting. Uh, Paul is writing in prison, and the thing he says is, I want you to know, brothers, that this has really served to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Paul is unjustly sitting in prison. He's confined because he has been proclaiming Jesus, in Lord, Jesus is Lord in a time where he's only permitted to profess Caesar is Lord. In order to, for him to get food and clothing, and what he needs is necessities in prison. He has to pay for it out of his own pocket. He can't travel to the churches that he has helped started. His ministry seems to be stuck with no clear path to ever returning again. And yet he writes in positivity and encouragement. And he says, this has been good for my ministry. This has been good because it has advanced the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think Paul can write with this conviction and with this clear uh, perspective because this is his motivation in life. He wants to see the gospel being advanced. And that's what motivates him. That's it. That's his driving force moving forward in his life, proclaiming the gospel of Christ in his life no matter what circumstance is happening in his present. See, what are you living for? What motivates your life? What drives your action? I think that one of the struggles we have in a life of faith is that it is hard for us to live with a gospel mindset when the fear or the frustrations or the interruptions, the distractions of today begin to fill our mind. We often react more instinctively than measured. And so, <clears throat> when we're struggling in the present, when we have a rough night of sleep, when we feel worn down by kids or by work, when we feel frustrated by this ongoing interruption in our world, we can show this by complaining to others. We can show this by being short with those around us. We can show this by writing off another day just merely trying to get through it. But here... Paul is writing in this season of imprisonment and he is rejoicing because he is saying this is a great time for the gospel to be advanced in my imprisonment. Paul goes on to describe that even though he cannot travel, his prison guards are traveling to him and he sees this as an amazing opportunity and so he uses this time to Talk about the power of Jesus, the power of the gospel, and how this is seeping into the prison guards' hearts and it is changing their lives. And in doing so, Paul is saying the gospel is being advanced despite my circumstances, people are coming to the Lord. 
Paul sets this example for us that we are to live out the gospel in and through any and all circumstances in our present time. And this is the call of a Christian. We are to live to advance the gospel. How are we to find this strength to advance the gospel? Well, Paul gives us really three words that help direct us in verses 14 and 15. He says we are to find confidence in the gospel, and that creates in us a boldness in our life to proclaim the good will, with good will, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Confidence, boldness, and good will. In verse 14, Paul says, you can become confident to speak. You can, be, be, you can become confident in the Lord. And what this does is it creates this boldness to speak. And later on in verse 15, he says, this confidence causes you to preach the gospel with a heart of goodwill. Confidence, boldness, and goodwill. It's these three words that begin to drive us with this purpose and give us a strength to be able to live to advance the gospel. When we find our confidence in life in Christ, it helps us not to live instinctively, but instead to be motivated in all situations to model and live out the gospel with our lives. And when we do this, it creates in us this boldness to speak into our relationships, to speak in specific moments, to point people to the love of Christ. And as verse 15 points out, we speak this from a heart of goodwill. Paul, in his encouragement, is saying, let the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ motivate your life to live in such a way that it keeps you moving in confidence and boldness, advancing the gospel no matter what. Uh, last week, like uh, many of you on Sunday night, our household was watching the Super Bowl, and there was a play that caught my attention more than any other. It was a, a goal line play. There's a part in football where you can get the football all the way one yard from the goal line. And if you don't cross that line, it means nothing. You could have come all this way, but if you don't cross the line, it could mean nothing at all. So in the Super Bowl, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had the ball and they gave it to the running back. They were one yard away from the goal line, and the running back ran as fast as he can. In this picture, you can see he's in the middle of this scrum. His own players are pushing him forward, but the team in the red is pushing against him, and even though he tried and his team was pushing, he didn't make it across, and so the play was meaningless. He had done all of this energy, but he didn't cross the line. I thought of this image because I thought that in our lives, with the gospel, if we aren't selling ourselves out, we can't get across the line. If we don't try our hardest, we're not going to proceed to advance the gospel. We have to sell our lives out for this. It has to become the core of our lives, the core of why we live. And what it does is it takes all of you, it takes those around you to push you forward because the hesitations, the resistance, the roadblocks are fierce. If we aren't selling ourselves out solely for this, we won't find the advancement. The motivation to advance the gospel has to become the fulcrum of our lives. I think we get stuck in our lives when we compare our, ourselves, our lives to other people, when we compare our life to the goals that we have, 
when we compare our life to the aspirations that we long for. But we need to compare our lives by asking this question, through my life, through this, through whatever you're doing, through this, am I advancing the gospel of Christ? Through my job, am I working in such a way that advances the gospel of Christ? Through my relationships, Am I living in such a way that advances the gospel of Christ through my parenting? Am I modeling a life that advances the gospel of Christ? Verse 14, Paul says this. He says, Most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, and they are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Confidence that leads to boldness causes us to live our lives not with fear holding us back in resistance, but emerging past this fear. I think in this passage, we begin to see this difference between endurance versus perseverance. To endure something is to just merely make it by. We endure moments of hardship by doing the very least we can to survive the moment. But Paul is writing instead that we are to persevere, To persevere is to find purpose. It's to live with this motivation, not to merely make it by, but to strive and abide through our hardships in a life that looks to find our fulfillment in Christ. We need to let the gospel become the driving force of our lives because it leads us not to just endure, but to persevere with boldness and confidence speaking the gospel in goodwill. Verse 18 says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul's joy comes from the gospel being proclaimed. In every way, Christ is proclaimed, and this is our motivation in life. We live a gospel-centered life when we have this motivation. Second, we see we live a gospel-centered life when we find our identity by honoring Christ in all things. It has to become who we are. Are we honoring Christ in all things in our life? Paul continues in this passage. He pivots on topics a little bit, but listen to verses 18 through 20. He says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Again, we find this word joy or rejoice. It's used 16 times throughout this letter. It's what characterizes Paul's aim for this people. And Paul is writing with encouragement And he presses forward in them to to live a life of courage. To live a life that isn't ashamed but is is found encouraged by honoring Christ in our lives. And then what Paul does is he begins to set up this dichotomy between life and by death. Whether by life or by death. Listen now as he continues. He says this in verses 21 through 22. He says, For to me, to live is Christ." But to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. Paul has remarked 
about his motivation for his life. But then we see this revealing of how he finds his identity in the gospel, whether in life or by death. And in this comparison between life and death, we see a difference, but we see a unity in that. Paul says that if he is to live, his whole life is to be geared around the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if he is to die, it's gain because he will find life eternal with Christ. And what we see here in Paul's thinking is this identity marker that for Paul, Christ is in all things, whether in his life or in his death. And in prison, Paul is openly pondering that if he makes it through this and he keeps on living, his life will be centered solely on the gospel of Christ. Yet if he faces death for his penalty and his charge, this would lead him to gain of life eternal with Christ. And it's this image that we have to ask ourselves, what are you living for? What are you living towards? The dichotomy in this image that Paul presents is what speaks to us in our future, yet also in our present. Paul is saying that if I die, my life is with Christ forever. So this is gain, but if I live now in the present... Well, I too am as to live for Christ right now. Paul presents to us this balance we need to find in our lives of not living solely towards the future, not living solely towards the present, but living towards the future in the present moment. We need to find this right balance of the future and the present in our lives. Last year in our house, we had all kinds of appliance issues come up. And one problem we had was with our washing machine. It had various problems. But often what would happen is the the problems in the machine would cause our washing machine to grow unbalanced. And so we would start a load and you'd go upstairs and it sounded like the foundation of our entire house was shaking. And you'd walk down and you would see the washing machine going from side to side because it was not correctly centered. It wasn't balanced. It had no stability underneath it. See, if our faith and our lives become unbalanced, we don't have this centered view on the future and on the present. Because if we live, lean too far towards living towards the future, then we begin to write off and minimize the present. Oh, I know things are hard, but I'm only living towards this end. I've said my prayer. My life is saved. I can't wait to have this future with Christ. Who cares about the present? If we focus solely on the present, then our problems in the now become so enlarged, they overtake us and we lose hope of the future because everything seems so urgent right now today. Paul gives us this image of a gospel-centered life that finds our identity in what Christ has already done, in what he is doing in our lives, but also in the future hope we have of what Christ will do. He gives us this image because this future image of being with Christ is what motivates us with hope in the present. And in the present, we don't just write off what we're going through, but it's the future hope that spurs us on to persevere what we are going through. And I think that this is so important for us to hear in this moment. That the future hope we have 
doesn't minimize our problems in the present, but it spurs us on to live faithful in Christ. I think I'm, I'm shy when I keep hearing people say, we're almost out of this, look towards the future, we're almost out of this when the present problems are still here and they're still happening. The present frustrations aren't going away. It's still a difficult present to navigate. Paul gives us this vision of not looking towards the future with disregard to the present, but letting the future hope spur us on in our present to live for Christ. Verse 23 in the New Living Translation, which Hannah read, says, I'm torn between two desires. I long to go be with Christ, which would be better for me. But for your sake, it is better that I continue to live. When our identity is grounded in Christ, we face our present by looking into our future hope, not letting it minimize our hardships, but letting it guide us through that present pain. I've been reading lately this book about grief. It's called Prayer in the Night by author Tish Harrison Warren. And she writes this. She says, when we are drowning in the present, we need a lifeline. And our lifeline in grief cannot be mere optimism that maybe our circumstances will improve because we know that might not be true. We need practices that don't simply palliate our fears or our pain, but that they teach us to walk with God in the crucible of our own fragility. When our identity is rooted in Christ, it causes us not to hide away our pain and our grief. It doesn't cause us to just put on a smiling face to endure what we're going through. But what it does is it pushes us to persevere by navigating our grief in the present moment, trusting that God is leading us to the future that he has for us. Verses 25 through 26, Paul says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. We are motivated to advance the gospel. We find our identity by revealing the gospel in all ways, in life and in death. Lastly, we see that if we are to live a gospel-centered life, we need to find our value, we need to find our worth in the gospel. Are we living worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Listen to verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am, or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul moves from his own life as an example, and he begins to, to cause the Philippians to ponder their own life. Are they living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? This word manner is talking about your conduct. In Greek, it really is talking about being a citizen. The New Living Translation says, we are to live as citizens of heaven. And so the mindset we get in this passage is our, is our conduct, is our citizenship in life being led and lived as being worthy of the gospel. Worthiness is about placing value on something. 
to deem it valuable, to deem it worth it. See, are you living your life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ? Pastor Matt Chandler says this. He says, for Paul, this word means ascribing worth. And when he commands others to live in a worthy way, he means we should live it in such a way that shows what we believe is of supreme worth. For Christians, it means living in such a way that Jesus is seen as big, that Jesus is seen as glorious. In order to live a gospel-centered life, it means that we have to resist the urge of trying to carpent our of trying to put our, our, our lives in different compartments. We can't live with this mindset of saying, I live one way at work, I live this way at home, I live this way at church. We can't splice and separate our lives. Everything in our life has to find its grounding founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, are you finding your value, your worthiness in life, by conducting your life in such a way that communicates the worthiness of the gospel of Christ. How do we do this? Paul says this in verses 27 through 28. He says, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and one mind, striving side by side for the faith of gospel. To live out the gospel in our life means we have to stand firm in one spirit and one mind, striving side by side together in the faith, in the gospel. See, does the gospel ground your life? Does it cause you to stand firm and stand in one spirit with one another? We need to find our grounding, our foundation in life by standing firm on what Christ has already done. A couple of uh, Sundays ago when we had the big snowfall here. Uh, before church, we were outside clearing snow on the sidewalk. And as we were doing so, we saw a car get stuck in the middle of Wellington. And so we ran onto Wellington and we got behind the car and we were trying to push this car through the street. But this woman who was driving the car, she kept hitting the accelerator and we looked at her tires and she was not on the ground at all. She was stuck in the snow and so her tires just kept spinning. She had no foundation to move herself forward because she was on nothing firm. The only way in our lives that we can strive for the advancement of the gospel is that we first find our foundation in what Christ has done. See, your worthiness is not found in how amazing your life looks to others. It's not in how successful you are at your job. It's not on how your life compares to those around you. But it's in standing firm in one spirit, in one mind, in what Christ has done through his life, through his death on the cross, and through his life in the resurrection. We need to hold on to our value, our worthiness, in the gospel alone. And that marks who we are. Paul concludes in verses 28 through 30. He says, Don't be frightened in anything by your opponents, because this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but you also will suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict you saw that I had and now here 
that I still have. See, Paul is saying your, your drivenness in life, your value in the gospel, is not found in the outcome of your situation, not in how good your life is. You will face hardships, or as Paul did, you might face sufferings. But that's not what gives you your viewpoint of worth. It's found in the salvation that comes by Christ alone, which leads you out of fear and into faith. See, don't compare your life to what others are doing. Don't try to keep up. Don't compare your life to how things are going in the present moment. Compare your life to your value in the gospel, finding yourself in God's greater story. Tish Harrison Warren and her book, Prayer in the Night, remarks this way. She says, the story of the gospel is not a mere mantra. It's not a relic of history. It's alive and ongoing. Our hope in sorrow is not something that we carry around as a brute fact or worse, a pat answer. But we discover our own small lives and stories in the larger story of God and his church. And that's the hope that leads us through the present, discovering this reality that becomes yours when in faith you confess and you find your life hidden in what Christ has done, awakened and alive in resurrection, living worthy, alive in God's story. That is the hope that drives our life. That is what leads us to center our lives on Christ alone. Stand with me.